Hey, all you rockers out there, this is Oz Fox, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Alice Webster from Cannibal Corpse, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody out there, this is Pat Torpy from Mr. Big, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 99 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 99, we've got a couple great guests from a couple bands that uh, rose to prominence in the mid to late 80s and into the early 90s. First up, we're going to talk to Oz Fox of the band Striper. Striper is coming into Pittsburgh on March 23rd to play Diesel. That is an Elko concert. You can find more information at elkoconcerts.com. I'm sure there's still tickets available for that. Uh, going to be a great show. They've got a new album out called The Covering, which is a collection of all but one of them, I believe, are uh, cover songs that they did uh from their influences uh, before you uh, start to wonder most of them I believe are secular uh, including songs from Heaven and Hell Iron Maiden Van Halen Kiss uh, and a host of others including even Ozzy Osbourne so you can uh, get that album it's available at iTunes it's from Frontier Records which is a pretty major uh, record company so that's available I'm sure at iTunes Best Buys etc so uh, before we get into the interview with Oz, we are going to play a song from that album. This is called Heaven and Hell from the band Heaven and Hell, formerly known as Black Sabbath featuring Ronnie James Dio. Striper from the covering Heaven and Hell. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome from the band Striper, Oz Fox. How are you doing today, Oz? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, um, obviously, you guys have a new album uh, that's out, and you're going to be making your way across uh, most of the United States on your current tour. Uh, so we wanted to catch up and uh, follow up what's been going on with the band. Um, you guys obviously had a big uh, anniversary tour about a year and a half or so ago, but just give people a little update on what's going on with Striper. So before we get to the new stuff, a couple questions um, regarding your background musically. What kind of got you into guitar? I mean, you, you came out of an era that was very rich with guitar playing, but were there particular players you gravitated to in your formative years? Um, you know, um, to be honest with you, um, in the very, very early, early days when I started playing guitar, I, 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 it was mostly because I listened to an album called uh, Open Up Your Heart by Buck Owens okay. and the Buckaroos, and um, the album was a real uh, kind of kind of almost uh, rock-sounding guitar that, that they call the chicken picking. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was real slappy and, and kind of... Uh, almost sounded like surf punk type stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the particular guitar player that played on that album, his name was um, uh, uh, James Burton. Um, and, of course, James Burton is well-known player. Um, mm-hmm. Played with Elvis and, and yeah. so, many, so many great groups and stuff. But... but um, that that was what sparked me when I was growing up as a kid, and uh, I had a lot of uncles that were listening to Cream and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hendrix and um, you know Deep Purple bands like that. Uh, so I, I I really gravitated towards a lot of those kind of players as well because of my uncles. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, my dad was listening to a lot of uh, stuff like Santana. Okay. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of how it all kind of started, I guess, with me and guitar. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did you meet up with the Sweet Brothers to kind of get this ball rolling? We we uh, met up in school. Okay. And, um, they they lived in the same general area uh, as I did, and so I ended up crossing paths with them uh, in junior high school and in high school. Okay. So, um, you know, as I was in when I, when I was in high school, I actually met Michael when he was about twelve years old. Um, <laughs> so I've known him for wow, yeah, a long time. <laughs> now, when you guys, I mean, obviously, as twelve-year-olds, I'm going to guess that you you probably didn't have the vision to become one of the biggest Christian rock bands in in history. Um, what went along in, in the development of the band did? Christianity become a, the- a predominant theme? Well, uh, it, it, was, it was really kind of a, a, a thing that evolved through the times of, like, for instance, I, like what I mean by that is it was like events would happen. Like, for instance, when I became a, a Christian, I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. My mom was going to a, uh, I guess it was more of a Pentecostal type church okay. near our house, um, and that's where I uh, became a Christian, but being 
years old, I mean, obviously there's a lot of influences in your life that take away from that. And yeah. That age and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also at the, around the same time, Robert and Michael were uh, in, 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 a, in a different way being led into the faith um, through their parents and what they were experiencing with their walk with God. And I think a lot of it had to do with Jimmy Swaggart's ministry. I think they were mm-hmm. really led to that ministry. And mm-hmm. you know, that's what led them into becoming Christians. Right. Um, but of course, the same thing happened with them. And you know, as time goes on, you, you you're uh, in your teenage, going into your twenties uh, years, so to speak. Um, being in bands and hanging around musicians and whatnot. I mean, you you you, you experiment a little bit, and you mm-hmm. kind of uh, drift off from what the church says is right, and you. <laughs> You know, you end up becoming a party animal and doing your thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I guess for us, there was always something deep down, a conviction mm-hmm. uh, that led us to always say, well, that, that you know, that lifestyle's not really what we should be doing and sure. what we should be doing is following our faith and what we've learned. And and, and so one day when all of us were in a band together called Rock's Regime, um, a friend of ours came in the room and pretty much said, hey, you guys all know about Christianity and you know in your heart that that's the right way to go. You should give your music to Christ. Mm-hmm. And... Um, He'll take you to places for His glory that you'd never seen, that you you would have never seen before. And we're like, wow, well, you know, interesting, you know. And, and he, I guess, after talking with him and and really, you know, spending the time debating about things, we decided to do it. We decided to give our lives over back, rededicate our lives to, to Christ, and and then start dedicating our music to Him. And that's how it all started. Yeah, I, I remember what a profound impact. I was probably in my mid-teens when you guys kind of, to, when I became aware of you, which was during the Soldiers album, and I remember what a revelation it was for me because up to that point, I remember going to church, uh, especially with my dad when I was younger, and music in church growing up Catholic was either somebody grinding out a song on an organ or occasionally we had some guys with folk guitars kind of doing this Peter, Paul, and Mary thing. And it was almost, to me, like a negative thing to label music as Christian. As a music fan, you know, as a Christian, I you know, I was glad to hear the message, but you guys were the first people to put it to music that actually drew, you know, I remember a lot of my friends in because of the type of music you were playing with a positive message. It was very profound, you know, back yeah, during I, that era. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I yeah, agree. I mean, because there were so many other bands that were, you know, kind of peers of that era of music. You know, your, your Dawkins and Y&T and Wasp and things that all had very different music messages. And, you know, it really worked very well. Um, one, and, and, you know, we were... We were um, we we enjoyed and respected those bands, mm-hmm. you know. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that that was uh I mean the us, I mean Y and T before they were Y and T was called Yesterday and Today. Sure. And they had two albums that they put out that just were rocking albums and they had a huge influence on us. Yeah. Which we that was one of the one of the groups we almost decided to try to to, to do covers on and uh, we if we do a covering too, we'll probably do that. Yeah, they they are. I mean, even today, their their latest album was phenomenal. Um, but it was it was interesting because you know I, I was a fan of a band like Wasp, for example, but lyrically, not the greatest message in the world, admittedly. So I almost well, yeah. kind of divorce yourself of of the lyrics, but you know it was the catchy hooks and, and great musically. So it was always yeah. a bit of a, a crisis of faith. You know, I'm listening to Wasp. You know, I'm Gonna you know spend all my life you know, in damnation, but there's, there's a couple of opinions about that. Okay, and let me just say this. Sure. Okay. Um, I still listen to secular music. Uh, just, that's the way you want to put it. It's mm-hmm. secular or mainstream music, if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, me, uh, classic rock is my favorite thing to listen to because it's it's awesome. It's got mm-hmm. a vibe to it. I mean, yeah. I can't. Uh, it, it's so hard to to listen to something if you're not into it. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I mean, spinning a Zeppelin album or, or you know, a, 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 an Ozzy album with Randy Rhodes. I mean, we got oh, yeah. you know, Randy was huge influence on on me. Sure. Uh, or or a Van Halen album. I mean, there's just an excitement, energy there. Yeah, the lyrics. I don't particularly listen to the lyrics, but I don't have a problem listening to that. You know, yeah. it's got some groove. I, I I can dance to some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So is. I mean, the problem is, is it's you've got a, you've got a, a handful. I'm not saying everyone, okay, but a handful of uh, Christian churches and groups of people that just um, condemn you for listening to mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong to do that. Yeah, I I remember. Uh, you know, back in that, you know, maybe uh, yeah, around the time you guys first started to get big, that Judas Priest was getting a lot of flack from, you know, some of the southern churches and stuff, and really not understanding it. And, you know, I just, I was always of the mind, you know, the music is good, I don't think it's making me a bad person, so I listen to it, you know, I don't, yeah. and I, I kind of took it at that, and, and it's, I think it was a pretty healthy way to do it looking back, you know, I mean. So well, I, I mean, you know, if if they sing lyrics about something, about an issue, or about a, um, uh, you know, something, and I'm not saying I would do this, but if there's something that somebody is trying to get a point across in a in a in a song, as long as it's not blatantly vulgar, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's really up to the person to have the integrity or a, a, a parent that has a kid. You know, that's thinking about something, whether it's suicide or whatever, to 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 guide their their children, to guide. You know, yeah. it's just it's it's silly to try to blame a rock band for some yeah. silly that you know yeah. people try to do. You know, and it's just I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's I crazy. think that does I sum mean, it up it, quite well. There, there's there's stuff in the Bible that if you read it, you probably would think, oh well, it's okay to kill myself because Saul mm-hmm. fell on his sword. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, it, so I mean, you're gonna you're gonna sue the Bible, you're gonna sue God. Yeah. You know, it's kind of silly. I imagine someone will try at some point. I wanted to ask you one question that's always been kind of curious to me. 
Is there anything particular about the yellow and black? Um, some sort of symbolism or, or something that maybe I overlooked? Or is it no, just... No, I mean, I mean, it started off, to be honest with you, it started off with Robert painting his drums yellow and black, and they weren't striped mm. at that point. Uh, mm. At the very beginning, when he stri- when he uh, painted his yellow and black drums, they were like all different geometrical shapes. Uh, you know, Robert mm-hmm. loves to just be the flashy kind of showman. Yeah. And when his drums... You know, when he paints his drums, he likes to be unusual and different. Um, so it, eventually it grafted into just yellow and black stripes, and Rock's regime was pretty much, you know, using that that kind of a, a you know, an imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, you know, I guess people started saying, well, you know, it's like caution colors, you know, like you're warning people about, you know, how they yeah. prepare for whatever, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't buy into that stuff. That's, that to me is gimmick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. I often wondered, you know, is there some like, you know, you know, I start to look for like meaning behind something. I was just curious if there was something to that. It was kind of cool that the stripes represented like the stripes that Jesus got whipped. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was kind of cool. You know, yeah. to use that analogy. Sure. And you start throwing all kinds of stuff in, you know, just to be. It was mostly just kind of. Now the the new album, um, you guys obviously the covering you're kind of paying uh, homage to uh, a lot of your idols. You mentioned Randy Rhodes, uh, Edward Van Halen. Um, how did you guys kind of go about narrowing it down t- to the songs that made the record? No, mostly it was it was up to Michael. I mean, we had a good list of songs that we decided to uh, you know think about and mm-hmm. hash out. And and but but really what 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 mattered was if Michael felt comfortable singing sure. stuff. I mean I could play pretty much any cover you throw at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it, when it comes to a vocal, if if uh, the singer doesn't feel comfortable with it or doesn't think he can manage it to, to, to do it justice, so to speak, yeah, then, then that's a little bit different. You know, you kind of want to you have to kind of be a little bit picky on that, and as well as the lyrics. I mean, we didn't want to. Do anything that was, you know, really offensive in any way. Sure. So we with that. As a matter yeah. of fact, I mean, um, the, there were some lyrics that we had left out. Mm-hmm. You know, one or two of the songs just yeah. wasn't wasn't offensive in some way. Sure. It didn't, it, it didn't go against what we believed or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, um, you know, but but for the most part, it was that. It was the vocal. And making sure that Mike would feel comfortable, mm-hmm. and and he he really wanted to do songs that he knew he could shine on. So that's that's really what we did. We just pretty much, you know, narrowed it down to that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be quite a luxury to have his vocal range when it comes to picking songs. There are yeah. probably few mortals out there that can do the immigrant song justice. And no, uh, yeah, I you, agree. You've got the man there to put the with the range. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the Sir Oz Academy? What uh, what you're going to be doing with that? Yeah, uh, I started to uh, get a lot of email and letters and, um, and requests from a lot of people, starting way back in the late '80s, all the way into uh, until now, for an instructional DVD. 
Um, I, I, I think I've approached a couple of companies about doing it, but they, they never got back to me or they just, I don't know, you know, I guess I wasn't shredded enough for them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I don't care. You know, um, I know there's plenty of guitar players that shred faster and dance circle around me, you know, when they play or whatever. But, um, uh, but, but because I got so many requests and, you know, it was always at the back of my mind to, um, uh, do some kind of instructional DVD, maybe do it myself in some way. And, um, and so, um, as time went on, as I became more and more interested in graphics and computer programming and all that stuff, um, I, I somewhat learned uh, how to make my way around Flash mm-hmm. um, and um, in movie editing, you know, iMovie, you know, whatever. Um, and um, a- a- about a year ago, or actually a couple of years ago, I thought, man, it was great to do online uh, instructional videos. And, um, and so I uh, got together with a fellow that uh, was actually working on the Striper website for a long time for, for nothing <laughs> and uh, until they got a new guy. And uh, and this guy, um, Greg Hayes, uh, he, he uh, kind of helped me develop this website where um, he's still helping me do it right now, where we're going to have a, a subscription fee. Okay. Um, and you'll be able to go in and, and uh, view a library of uh, instructional videos from me. Okay. Based, based on my plane and how I play. Um, and um, it's uh, uh, also I'm planning to have guest artists from, uh, I mean, of course, I would love to have popular artists, but right now, you know, it's a little bit hard to do, um, kind of getting started the way we are, but, but, yeah. um, but I do have a handful of guys that are, uh, on board, um, that influenced me in some way or that are good friends of mine. And I just got on the, uh, uh, the guitar player from the band Blood Good, Paul Jackson, mm-hmm. um, who is an uh, underrated guitar player. No one, that's what people know about him, but he's really awesome and he does some great stuff. So he's on board. I got something, uh, up with him. Um, I'm going to have uh, Tony Palacios from uh, Guardian, who was very influential in my uh, pretty much bringing my guitar playing up to the new level that I did in, in on the Against the Law album. Um, and um, so I'm planning to do some videos uh, with him. Uh, of course, Michael Sweet will be another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, it doesn't have to stop from there. It, 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 I've got a lot of drummer friends. Uh, Robert Sweet wants to do some stuff with me. Tim will do some bass. You know, just kind of throw a whole bunch of different things in and, and offer this website at, you know, at a one-time, uh, fee that, uh, will pay for those who are planning on copying everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then a subscription, and then a subscription fee for, you know, people who want to stay on board and want to just keep going in and seeing where the new videos are going. Cause I'm going to be adding videos every month. Okay. Now, um, you, you mentioned um, the guitarist of Bloodgood and, and kind of his underrated, but do you ever kind of look at, especially a lot of great guitarists of, of the genre that you guys kind of came out of in the, in the mid to late 80s, do you kind of ever get irritated that your name doesn't come up in more conversations? Because you've always kind of struck me. You and Eddie Ojeda 
seem to be two of the most underrated guys of that, you know, whole scene. Does that ever kind of get under your skin or just try to ignore it? I love Eddie, by the way. He's a great yeah. guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> but, uh, but, but anyway, um, you, you know what? That, it, 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 there's always that dream when you're a guitar player to, to get recognition. Mm-hmm. But then there's always the reality of, you know, the Steve Vai's and the, <laughs> the, the Joe Satriani's and the, the um, you know, all of the, Paul Gilbert's and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know. There's always those kind of guys that just, that, that, I mean, how can you outdo that? You really can't, you know. And, and so most of the time, those are the guys that get recognized. Um, I've always been a jammer, you yeah. know. I mean, put me in a in a in a open mic night, you know, I'll just play along with somebody and whip out licks, you know. Um, <laughs> so... Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I get enough respect from all my friends and um, and the fans. You know, I don't really need to have anybody say, "Oh, Oz is great." You know, in magazines or whatnot. You know, yeah. You know, it'd be nice, but but you know, on the other hand, you know, there are some really great guitar players that deserve to be there, and that's their place. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, on the other hand, I'm in a, I'm in an awesome band. That's that's really uh, reaching people, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of people respect the band and respect me as a player, and 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 I have a voice. Yeah, you know? you're a heck so, of a singer. Um, yeah. um, well, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, I meant it like a voice in society. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that as well. Yes, yeah. so certainly. I was. Yeah. That's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize, especially when you watch the live DVD that you guys did a couple of years ago. How crucial. A role you play in in the harmonies and vocals of that band is, I think, very understated. Um, you know, and that's that's a whole other thing. I mean, I would love to do an album, a solo album, where I'm singing and playing guitar, and that would be kind of fun to do. Uh, when the right time comes, I'll do one. You know, um, I've already done some singing as a frontman before. I had a band in nineteen in the mid nineties called uh, 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 Sin Dizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the front man for that band, and um, it, it was quite an experience. I kind of learned a lot, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing a solo thing where I'm singing and, you know, just kind of venturing out a little bit. Yeah. Of course, um, I don't know, that has to be the right time, though. You have sure. to have the time to do it. Yeah. Speaking of time, are you still uh, working with Bloodgood? As a matter of fact, yes. Um, we have plans uh, to do some new music and... Um, you know, get some new stuff out there. Um, right. We've been doing demos and stuff, so and there are some gigs that have popped up in you know in the recent uh, you know year that yeah. uh, I went and did performances with them on. Great. Um, and I believe there may still be some more shows like that that we'll do. So, but that Bloodgood's an awesome band. I mean, yeah. if you haven't experienced Bloodgood, I mean, they're they're just some great music, some great stuff that they uh, put out that once I really got into the band and really started uh, working with them, uh, playing with them, it's just a lot of fun. I, I, I mean, it's just some awesome stuff. Yeah. You know, great musicians. Great. You know. All right, Oswald, I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, you guys are going to be coming into Pittsburgh on the 23rd of March. 
uh, for those listening in the Pittsburgh region. But you guys are making your way across most of the United States here in the next couple of weeks, so uh, plenty of chances to see you guys almost coast to coast. Yes, absolutely. We're looking forward to, you know, coming into every town and playing. So, Oz, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. My pleasure.
from Striper from the album The Covering. That was a cover of Iron Maiden's classic, The Trooper. Again, Striper will be at Diesel March 23rd. You can get tickets. Uh, go to elcoconcerts.com and get all the information there. So next up, from the also from the uh, same era, maybe a two or three years later, kind of rose to prominence, a band featuring a couple of, call them all-stars, Eric Martin, Vocals, Billy Sheehan, formerly of Talis and Mr. Big. Paul Gilbert, formerly of Greensburg, PA, also of the band Racer X. Uh, and our next guest, Pat Torby, got together in 1989 and formed the band Mr. Big. Mr. Big put out a smoking uh, debut album. As I mentioned, uh, I believe in the interview and talking to Pat, I remember reading back in 1988 or whatever it was that Paul Gilbert and Billy Sheen were going to do an album together and uh, uh, just the anticipation and the expectations of what that album were were incredibly high and then uh, the song Addicted to That Rush uh, we got a hold of that and certainly was not disappointed with that so we're going to play a song from their current album called What If, which is also available on uh, Frontier Records. You can get it at Amazon, iTunes, Best Buy, etc. This song called Undertow, and then we're going to get into an interview I recently did with Pat Torpy of the band Mr. Big. <laughs> Gentlemen, with great pleasure, I welcome to the show from the band Mr. Big. This is Pat Torpy. How are you doing today, Pat? I'm doing really well, and it's great to be here. Great. Hey, um, our show uh, comes out of the uh, great city of Pittsburgh, and, and doing a little prep from this uh, show. I see you're from Cleveland, actually? I am. I was born in uh, Painesville, which is a little area right outside of Cleveland. And Okay. You know, that's a uh, city of rock and roll, I guess. Yeah, that's what they like to call themselves, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of cities like to call themselves, well, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ended up there. So yeah. I guess. <laughs> How did they yeah. pull that off? It was funny. I, I guess growing up, I, I was aware that Billy was from Buffalo, and um, Paul Gilbert happened to, uh, I believe, was born in western Pennsylvania in a town called Greensburg, and then I see Eric was from Long Island, you know, but I think of you guys as kind of like an L.A. band. It's funny, you know, you guys are really all from the Midwest and East Coast. Yeah, that's true, but we, uh, you know, as uh, you know, everybody comes out to L.A. to find fame and fortune, I guess. You know, you go to the coast, so exactly. somehow we, we all ended up with East Coast guys. I guess it's just kind of the East Coast sensibility that, that we share amongst ourselves. Sure. Now, did you, um, when you went out um, to kind of start as a professional musician, you had done some stints with uh, Belinda Carlisle, John Parr. Um, how did you kind of get into the scene and start getting some of these gigs? Well, I, I actually came out to L.A. Uh, my parents had moved to Arizona when I was about 12 or 13 okay. years old. and So I, I, you know, I played around in cover bands and trying to kind of cut my teeth on what it's like to be in a band and be on the road. And so I decided that, you know, I wanted to make a go of it. So I came out to Los Angeles and I just kind of networked around. I mean, it was, it was uh, I, I, don't, I didn't really know what I was in for. 
And, uh, you know, I scared my, uh, my mother to death because, uh, you know, I said, no, I don't want to go to college. I want to go try to be in a rock band. And so she said, well, you can have a year. And then yeah. I never looked back. But it, it was just, you know, you just meet people. And um, I'm a softball. I like to play softball. And I got in this entertainment league. And it had a bunch of guys that were musicians, guys from Toto, uh, Pat Benatar's band, and uh, other musicians. And I just kind of meeting those guys anyway, I ended up, here I am in Mr. Big, you know, and it's been a lot, you know, it was a lot of turns and twists and bumps and, uh, you know, it's just kind of serendipity got me here. Yeah. yeah. Actually, even prior to Mr. Big, you made what I think was one of the, the great spots of the 80s that kind of went unknown. You played on um, Impelitary Stand in Line album, correct? Yeah, I did. And once again, that was just kind of networking. I they they actually had a different drummer in the studio, and he wasn't uh, performing to their standards. So the bass player had, was a friend of mine. We played softball together, uh, Chuck Wright. And um, we had been in a cover band together about five years before that. And he called me up. And I actually never played double kick drums before, so I did a crash course over a couple days to <laughs> kind of figure it out. And then we went in the studio, and there it was. There it was. Now, obviously, you went on to, to join up with uh, Paul and Billy and Eric and really kind of took the, the late 80s, early 90s by storm with uh, your debut record and then uh, really kicked it open with Lean Into It. One of the questions I had from that era that I don't know uh, that gets asked much is the influence. I know you guys seem to tour with Rush quite a bit. And what seeing Neil Peart every night kind of did for you as a musician well, you know, Neil, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, um, I, I wasn't a super fanatic Rush fan, but I liked them until we toured with them. And then I, I love them now. I mean, I just love, because you see them every night, you really get a sense of what people are about when you see them live. Mm. And their consistency and 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 the, those guys as people, you know, I, I just, they're, they're great. I mean, they're just a phenomenon, you know, they're fantastic. And you know Neil, uh, he's he's a great guy. He's kind of shy, you know. He's not yeah. really comfortable with all the accolades that get laid on him. And so he's actually a uh, a great guy to talk with because he has a, a healthy dose of humility about um, everything that you know he's done. And it was it was a real inspiration just to see his consistency. You know, he's he's like a classical musician. He kind of comes up with a part, those parts in those songs are, are important to the song. So he plays kind of the same part every night, but he does it with precision and consistency and power. And, you know, it was an inspiration to me. And uh, we, he had a practice kit backstage, and he let me get back there and bang on it anytime I wanted. And he and I would sit and talk. And I just thought, man, this is a dream come true for drummers all over the world and here I am sitting here with this guy so yeah. it, it was pretty uh, fantastic now um, I, I think a lot of people you know obviously associate Mr. Big with you know the kind of the hits of the early 90s but you guys had a very very healthy and strong career even to this day in the eastern you know Japan and things like that do you know like do you have guys any idea why it, it seems that you guys got so big over there you know I, I, I it's I've been asked many times, and and I I don't really have a specific one thing that I can say. I, I guess we're just kind of a combination of 
musicianship, songs, and uh, we don't take ourselves too serious, and we try not to be pretentious in what we do, and somehow that just kind of clicked with uh, the Southeast Asia and Japan, and uh, they've stuck with us for years, and we're still doing really well there, and you know, who knows? Uh, we're just glad. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't argue with you. I always remember, it seemed like two bands that kind of associated with being big in Japan as kind of the spinal tap thing was Mr. Big and Dokken were, were two bands that just seemed like... You know, yeah, were, yeah. It, 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 I often wondered if it had something to do with maybe the fact that both bands are very vocal-oriented. I mean, you guys are all... And Mr. Big, four I mean, singers. I mean, you guys really harmonize very well. Thanks. That maybe had something to do with it. Well, I, I, yeah, I, it might have. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to say. We just like music, and mm-hmm. maybe our enthusiasm spilled over, and people wanted to have join in. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to modern times. What, who kind of picked up the phone first to get to get the original lineup back together? Well, it kind of uh, happened. You know, now that I look back on it, it's it's it was kind of it seemed like it was almost meant to be because I was in Italy. And I ran into Eric, and we started talking about, you know, it, it'll be it's coming up on our 20-year anniversary of Mr. Big. And he said, man, wouldn't it be great to, you know, get back together? And I said, yeah, it'd be great. I said, but I don't think do that. Right. And um, about a week later, I got a text message from Eric, and he had gotten an email from Paul just out of the blue saying, hey, what do you guys think about maybe see if we can get Mr. Big back together? I was, I was floored. And um, a couple things that happened earlier in the year. This, this I believe, was in September of uh, 2008. And but in May of that of that year, Billy and I went to a Paul gig that he had for his solo tour, and he invited us up to jam. And I think that's what kind of softened all the, you know, the the you know, whatever little hard feelings there were about us not playing together anymore, it's like everybody kind of went, well, what, you know, what's the big deal? Let's get back together, and we've got a lot of great music, and there's a lot of fans out there. So I think that's how it all came about, and uh, I'm really pleased and glad that it did. Yeah, because I mean, you figure at that point, it had been, what, 11 years or so since Paul had kind of, you know, gone back to Racer X, and you guys obviously work with Richie Costin. Right. So when you went back into the studio, I mean, was the plan kind of, you know, once you guys got past all the, you know, bygones to go, bygones, was the thought immediately, let's go in and cut an album, or did you, I know you guys were touring in, in Asia, um, was, you know, was it kind of get our feet underneath us first and then make an album, or was an album something that you wanted to see how it worked first? Yeah, we, we wanted to see how it worked first. We didn't really even talk about making a new CD when we first got together, we we actually ended up all four of us together. Paul invited us out for dinner over his house, mm-hmm. kind of just kind of just uh, get back together. It was the first time all four of us were in a room in in like 16 years or so. So we um, we we just kind of talked about touring and playing some gigs, and it wasn't uh, we we didn't make long term plans because. You know, we we didn't know how it would work, how how it was going to be, and and everything just fell into place. It was kind of like riding a bike; you just never forget. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went into the studio, did you guys kind of write before you went into the studio, or, or was this sort of write it, record it kind of process? No, we we uh we we always have the songs pr- 
pretty together when with time, time comes time to record. You know, just because the you know when you're in the studio, it it can get very expensive, and uh, you oh, know yeah. to try to sit there and come up with ideas and waste time in a in a two thousand dollar a day recording studio. So we we had our pretty much planned everything out. We put together about fourteen songs and and uh, just kind of went in and bashed them out. And of course, you make changes as you go, but pretty well, much we had it had it mapped out pretty well. Right. Yeah, and the results. I, my hats off to the four of you for making what I think is is right up there with your best albums. Well, I, thank you. I appreciate it. I still remember the day. I don't remember if it was in Hit Parader or Metal Edge or whatever guitar magazine it was in like 1988 or early 1989 when I read that this project was coming together and then going out and buying the CD and, and hearing Addicted to that Rush come on, you know, it was better than we thought it was. Oh wow! Well, that, that's great. Yeah, I, you know, I I was the last one to join Mr. Big, and I I couldn't, you know, I, I was waking up with a smile on my face every morning, thinking, all right, because because they're so good. Everybody was so good. Uh, yeah. You know, Paul and Billy uh, are just gods. You know, they're they're fantastic, and Eric is such a unique rock and roll voice. And mm-hmm. I, I I got I thought I must have been living right. I ended up in this band, and you know, I'm a lucky right. guy. Does, does playing with Billy present any unique challenges from, from a drummer's perspective because of his, his style? Well, not not for me. Um, I, I remember the first time I played with Billy, I did notice that it was the, the there was a difference, um, and but it wasn't like a, a something that was uncomfortable. It was just I noticed. That, that there was a, there was a little different kind of approach and how things were going on, but in a real short period of time, it, it it's so easy to adjust because Billy's got an, you know he's a power on the bass. He's a you know he's he's just like uh, you know he he can shuffle like nobody else and and he's he's just as solid as a rock. You know I mean he he yeah. he makes it really easy for a drummer to lay down a groove because he's so solid. And Paul as well. I mean Paul Gilbert is a is a he's a Musician's musician. I mean, he's a good drummer too. He he understands yeah. drums, so it, it wasn't uh, tough at all. A little yeah. different, but it wasn't tough. Sure. Okay. Well, Pat, I want to thank you so much. I, I guess I, I wouldn't be remiss if I if I asked. Is there any uh, plans to tour the U.S.? I know you guys are doing a, a show out in California, the House of Blues. Uh, is there any kind of plan to, to hit any part of the U.S.? Well, we're talking about it. We don't have any definite definite plans, but we all would love to. Um, I think we also are slated to play uh, some festival in Maryland in beginning okay. of May, okay. uh, in, outside of Baltimore, right sure. now. And I think they're trying to book some new gigs. So we're we want to we're we'd love to play here. <laughs> no, I, I can speak for a lot of people who would love to see you. So Pat, I, I wish you guys the best of luck, and we hope we see you on the road. All right, thanks, John.
right, that was Still Ain't Enough from me from the new album from Mr. Big called What If. We want to thank Pat Torpy and also, again, thank Oz Fox for taking the time to come on the show. Both albums from both bands are available on Frontier Records. Again, iTunes, Amazon, Best Buy, uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy records these days if you can find a place that sells records. Uh, certainly online, though, you can get all those. Again, Striper will be coming to Pittsburgh on March 23rd, be playing Diesel. Uh, tickets at elcoconcerts.com we've got our fingers crossed that we'll see Mr. Big maybe sometime this summer Uh, they will be doing some festivals and such in the United States they're going to be doing the festival down in Maryland Uh, I believe that's called the M3 Uh, you can google it I'm sure and find out Um, so if we get word that's coming to Pittsburgh you keep it here first and you'll find out so I want to thank you all for listening we invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com we're on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, YouTube, etc. Uh, I want to invite you especially to take a look at our blog. Uh, there's an article that I recently did with Varg Vickerness of the band Burzum. Uh, if you're not familiar with the name Varg Vickerness, um, kind of a notorious name in black metal uh, history. If you go on uh, something like Wikipedia or something like that and look up black metal history, uh, his name is uh, certainly key in the history and the notoriety that went with the uh, genre. So you can check out the interview I did with him. Um, he has been out of prison now for I'm not exactly sure how many years, but uh, just to give you a little hint of what you might be in for. So again, ironcityrocks.com, click on the blog. Also, we still have a pair of tickets to give away for the Jeff Beck Show, which is now officially sold out. That's at the Carnegie Music Hall of Oakland. You can go to ironcityrocks.com, click on the contest, give us a name and address and an email, and you're entered to win. We will not be spamming you, and we will not be giving your information to anyone. Uh, Just getting your name on a list to try to win a pair of tickets. And also keep your eyes peeled on that site uh we will be having contests very soon for tickets to see uh both the monkeys at stage ae and one of my all-time favorite social distortion will be playing stage e will actually be the first outdoor show at stage ae over on the north shore for those of you not familiar with stage ae it's that thing between heinz field and pnc park talk to you next time <laughs>